Now, before I started this series, you know, this stewardship series, week three of, you know, of, of the four weeks that we're looking at stewardship. Before we started this, I was sharing with you in a series of, of I was sharing verses with you that I told you um, have have and are directing my life. Now, a couple of things with that. It's not that the others don't. They do uh, direct my life. But it's some, you know, scriptures that I come back to over and over again and principles and realities that uh, really stand out for me in different ways. These passages and principles that I've been sharing with you on, um, you know, on stewardship, these are part of that. You know, these passages uh, and, and these principles, um, really, as I've, as I've been sharing those with you, uh, these, are, these are not just scriptures, but also principles that I live by. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not just laying something out there. And in fact, um, I've you know, been going through, um, you know, different things. And, and trust me, these principles have been coming up again uh, for me in uh, rapid succession lately in particular. Uh, but th- so these are some truths that anchor my living, strengthen my faith. You know, they, they give me guidance, stability that I need in my life, and yes, stewardship uh, hits all of those marks, you know, it really does, and how, we, how we're going to live, because if you're not managing your possessions, your stuff, as well as your finances, you know, we're not just talking about money, we're talking about all, all that you have, you know, and, and if you're not managing them, then they're directing you. You know, I mean, you need to realize that if you're not managing them, you know, then they're directing you, and that's not how you want to be living. Um, it's a miserable way to live, really. Two weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 25. Jesus was telling the parable of the man going on a journey, gave his servants uh, wealth and the measurement of talents, which is a weight. You know, it says five talents, three talents, or five talents, two talents, one talent. And, you know, we look at that and we think, well, a poor guy who only got one. Uh, one talent was a lot of money. If you recall, as we looked at that, one talent it was worth about 20 years worth of wages. And whether you make, you know, you think you make a lot of money or a little money, uh, look at what you made last year. You know, tax time, a good time for you to do that. Look at what you made last year, multiply it by 20, and if somebody handed that to you, that would be a big chunk of change for you, wouldn't it? Uh, That's what was going on, you know, in their lives. And what that parable reminded me of is that God owns everything, and I'm simply his steward. You know, he owns everything. I am simply his steward. I am managing his possessions that he put under my control. You know, it's all his and it all belongs to him. And, and because I'm managing his assets, because I'm managing, you know, his stuff, his money, his possessions, uh, I really should get to know him better. I should continue to get to know him better. It's not something where I've arrived and I stop. That's not it. I continue that process of, of knowing him better. And I do that by reading his word, you know, studying, studying his word, and also by regularly gathering together with God's people because I learn as we gather together. We were down in Sunday school this morning, and, you know, as people were sharing and, and talking and interacting with Dean as he was teaching, and, you know, some of it was like, yeah, you know, and it just kind of reminds you of some things, opens your eyes up to other things, and helps you to see things maybe in a way you didn't. Those are all important, and they're all important to get to know better. Then last week, we looked at Luke chapter 16 as Jesus uh, talked about the manager who misused his master's wealth, and then when he was called on the carpet, um, he, he put himself first. 
And as he was called on the carpet, he continued to put himself first. You know, even when he was confronted there, his master's wealth, he used all of that to put himself in a better position in this world. And that incident reminds me that I can't serve God and anything else. You know, I can't serve God and anything else, even myself. You know, he is the one I need to serve. He's the one who needs to be first. Whatever or whomever we're serving will end up driving the boat. And what we'll find is that we're further away from God than we want to be if we let something else drive the boat. You know, and I need to serve God with eternity in mind, help others to find life in Christ. You know, and not just a better chair at the table for myself. So, you know, if, if I can't serve God in anything else, then I need to clear up any confusion in my life and pick one. Here's the deal. Remember, you are picking one with every decision you make. With every single decision you make, you are picking one. And I need to make sure, you know, that it is God that I picked and not anything else, including myself. That, you know, but that is God I serve. God owns everything and I can't properly serve him, you know, if I'm also serving something or someone else. Uh, today we're going to look at the third fundamental principle that will help us as we battle those times. And when we look at something and we think, eh, this would be nice, uh, you know, but um, we're going to consider, you know, am I needy or simply greedy? Let's pray. Father, open our minds, open our eyes, open our heart to you. That all that we do and all that we look at now would draw us not only closer to you, but uh, help us to be transformed, which means we're living a life more in tune with you. Uh, So make that a reality as you use your word in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there, page 958 or wherever it is on your little device there. Page 958 in the Pew Bible, I should say. Um, let me, let me remind you, you know, as, as we get into this today, and this is something, you know, you need to grasp. Uh, you really do. It, it, possessions are not bad. I am not saying that possessions are bad. What I hope we walk away with here is that realization that the money we have, the things we have, all, that, all those possessions and everything that we have are a gift from God and a responsibility. All right? It's a gift and a responsibility. It's not bad to have a lot of stuff. That's not the point. And if that's what you're hearing, you're not listening. You know, those are a gift and a responsibility. I hope that what we're looking at as you go through these things, as we're going through this series, you know, is your attitude, your mindset, your goals. You know, what are your motivations in, in how you use all of these things? And to look at, you know, to look at all, all of this in light of your relationship with and your commitment to Christ. That even the way we use our stuff, it's, it's to look at it, you know, in that relationship with him. I am not saying don't buy things. I am not saying don't have things. That's not the point. I am simply asking you to consider how well are you managing what God has given to your control as a gift and a responsibility to you to look at those. So, you know, at the beginning of this chapter here of Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus is teaching a crowd of many thousands. I know that because at the beginning of the chapter it says, Jesus was teaching a crowd of many thousands. You see, it's 
kind of easy to pick up some of these points sometimes. Uh, well, he's speaking there about the, the need to avoid hypocrisy, particularly he's talking about religious hypocrisy, um, you know, which he points out some of the Pharisees were guilty of that type of hypocrisy. Don't think they all were because they all weren't. Uh, Jesus did confront the Pharisees often, some Pharisees, and we think, oh, they were all bad. No, they weren't. Um, you know, but those, there's that religious hypocrisy, which really, um, um, yanked Jesus chain, you know, he didn't like that. And so, um, you know, these Pharisees here, they were in an influential position. They were a position, uh, you know, where people would hesitate to stand up to them, you know, and hesitate to say anything to them, uh, you know, and he told them that they needed to fear God much more than they feared the Pharisees. Uh, and, and the Pharisees could put them out of the synagogue, um, but it, by ignoring God, they could end up in hell. And uh, this is one of the things that, you know, this morning in our Sunday school lesson that, you know, that they touched on. Dean's been going, in our class, Dean's been going through, uh, is going through Hebrews, uh, the turtle's pace. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're going through it thoroughly, um, you know, and it's good. So, but anyway, uh, we read through part of it, and here's part of what we read today in Hebrews chapter 2. Let me read it for you. It says, we must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through the angels was legally binding and every transaction and disobedience received the just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such great a salvation? You know, this is what he's talking about here. You know, the, the, the Pharisees can put them out of the synagogue, but don't worry about that. What you need to worry about, what you need to worry about is you're standing with God and where you are with God, and, and, you know, because it's a very serious thing. And the reality is those who don't know Christ, those who don't realize that his body was broken and his blood was shed for their sins are on their way to hell. And part of our responsibility is to be able to tell them who Jesus is and to tell them that they can have forgiveness in him. You know, so this is he's talking to him, you know, he's talking about the importance of acknowledging him, you know, before men and not to worry because God would tell them what to say. And then pick up with me, verse 13. We're going to break this, what we're looking at today, down in a few places. So don't close your Bible when we're done here. Just the first few verses, verse 13 through 15. He says, someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. I always get a kick out of this one, uh, you know, because in the midst of his teaching, Jesus is talking, you know, and, and telling them about, you know, avoiding religious hypocrisy, about uh, their their need, you know, to you know to uh, acknowledge him before men. And this guy steps up and you know, and he says, Jesus, make him give me some of the inheritance. You know, and I'm thinking, dude, you know, we paying attention, you know. Now we're all guilty of not paying attention every once in a while, and um, you know this 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 guy was one of them. But his question reveals, really, look at it. His question reveals where his heart was at. His focus was on himself. His focus was on his possessions. This man this man was struggling with the, with feeling he was needy, and his question reveals that he was really just greedy. Uh, that's what we see going on here. And Jesus uses that question, though. Uh, he uses that question as, as an opportunity to teach an important stewardship principle as he, as he contrasts, I see him contrasting here, uh, greed and generosity. Uh, I, those are the things I see him contrasting here. And, and not, you don't have to have a lot of possessions 
uh, you know, or a lot of money you know, in, in order to have a problem with greed. You don't have to have a lot to have a problem with greed. You know, don't, don't think that. Greed is often very subtle. And, and it's many faceted. You know, there's many, many angles, if you will, to greed and how it comes in. Verse 15, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Some of the translations say against all kinds of greed. You know, be on the lookout for it. You know, greed does not have to be a desire for money. It doesn't have to be, you know, a desire for more possessions. Now, it can be. It certainly can be. I mean, and that's the way we think of it quite often. We think of it as you're greedy if you're trying to get more stuff. But that's not it. Greed is really just that, that selfish focus of, I need mine. You see, I, I, I need mine, and, you know, and i got to make sure that I get mine. Now, whether it's getting the last piece of cake, you know, or making sure that you get the best seat in the house, um, the problem is not having those things. Again, the problem is not having those things. The problem is what's driving us. To want to get those things. What is it that's pushing us? You know, when the, when the drive is, is the need to have, when for me, that I need to have these things for me, then there's a greed problem. Now, I said it's many faceted because sometimes it can come disguised as fairness. You know, it's, it's, it's what I deserve. You know, it's, it's what I want. You know, it's what I need. We work our way down into that. And often we're not needy, we're just greedy. And we need to learn to distinguish between those two. We need to learn to distinguish between needy and greedy. Needs have a way of expanding when we have more money at our disposal. Even if it's credit. You know, and we look at, we look at credit. And that's where a lot of people get into trouble with credit. I cannot say this too many times. Debt is not your friend. I know some investment counselors, and I've talked to some investment counselors, and even Christian investment counselors, and they, you know, wanted me to use debt to make Debt is not your friend. You know, it, it, it is not. It will become your master. Because you will be working then to pay off that debt. You will be limited in other things. Let me ask you this. Just a thought for you. If your house were paid for, 100% paid for now, would you have more money to do other things? Well, duh. You say, well, you know, that's a house. And you know, I'm not saying that. I, I owe money on our house. You know, I, I, and I'm also doing what I can to pay it off as quickly as I can. But um, I, I know a young guy who um, bought his first house, and it was he did not buy you know a, a, a former garage that was turned into a one-bedroom or a studio apartment. He bought a, a, like a real house with you know bedrooms and bathrooms and everything else, and he paid cash for it. It can be done. Now, he... He, and he didn't have a, a really, you know, wasn't a high-paying job or anything. Now, he ate a lot of ramen noodles by his own admission. But you see, there's a point. We can adjust our lifestyle if we want to. One of the, one of the uh, principles that falls into that with me is I, I won't borrow money for a car anymore. I have in the past, but I won't. You know, and 
Uh, if I can't pay cash for it, then I get a car I can pay cash for. That's just because debt is not your friend. You know, it, you're, it's going to become your master. You know, too often, too often we don't enjoy what we currently have because we're so consumed with what we don't have. You know, we're consumed with all those things we don't have, and we think happiness is tied to our possessions. And we get locked into that mindset. Now, we should enjoy our possessions. Again, you know, that's, that's part of what I'm telling you here. You should enjoy your possessions. That, you know, so it's not, we're not talking about you know, the fact that we're enjoying our possessions. Oh, that's a sin. No, 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 that's not. If God has given it to you, you should enjoy those things that he's given to you and manage them well. Just make sure they're not managing you as part of the challenge for us. You know? Enjoy, enjoy, of what you all, enjoy what you already have instead of de- being disappointed about those things you don't have. What an insult to God that you won't enjoy those things he's already given you. Verse 15, watch out, be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus drives the point home then in that parable. Pick up with me, verse 16. 16 through 19, we'll look at here. 16. Then he told a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Now, that's some folks' idea of retirement. You know, just take life easy, eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Um, I'm looking at retirement as an opportunity to serve God in a different way. I hope that's, you know, kind of how everybody does. But look, notice here, this man starts out rich, but greed slips in. Greed slips in as need. You see, he, he, he looks there, the ground produced a particularly good crop in one year, which tells me this man already, this man already had adequate facilities to make him rich. It says this is what he had. He already had adequate facilities to make him rich. Now he has an abundant harvest this one year. He had, he had more, you know, so he wanted more for himself. He wanted more for himself here. Needy, greedy, uh, we, get to, we get those confused. You know, we, we think we're in need of, what, you know, whatever it is. You know, we think we're in need of whatever it is, and really we're in greed we're in lust. We covet more, you know, and, and we want more. This man decides to tear down perfectly good barns, barns that were adequate to make him rich in the first place. They were adequate, you know, to, to provide for him and more than provide for him. They were adequate to produce so that he could had the funds where he could build even more. And so he says, you know, so I, I can store up all my grains and goods there. You see, because a two-car garage isn't enough now, now we have to have a three-car garage. I have a three-car garage. And and then, you know, then we need a shed the size of another garage. And it still won't hold all the stuff, so we get an off-site storage facility. You know, and we fill up the basements and all that. Now, um, again, remember, having stuff isn't the problem. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, And here, you know, when we lived in the parsonage, uh, I had... uh, all my, I had, I have, you know, saws and things. I like to build things out of wood. Um, I'm handy. I'm not a craftsman, but I'm handy, you know. And so, 
I, I can make a, a bed that will hold up my granddaughter anyway. Um, but so, you know, we, I had it in a storeroom there. And when I wanted to make something, I'd, I'd take it out and, you know, saw it cut and everything. And I had to put it away again because the youth meet over there on Wednesday. So I had to do that. Well, when we were getting the house built, Jenny said, I want you to have somewhere where you can, you know, where you can do this stuff and not have to put everything away every single time. So we added a third car garage. I think it was last year. I don't remember. I talked to John a little bit about it when I was doing this. I thought, I need to add on to this garage. Because my garage wasn't big enough now. So I even had, you know, I contacted the, the builder and I, you know, my, the, guy, the people who built my house. And I said, you know, you got the plans there. Can you draw this up for me? You know, uh, what it would be. what it would be. And uh, so we went back and forth a little bit. And I, I put it, I had, I had her, it's a lady I was talking to, I had her um, get the drawing. So uh, you have to have so many feet that you're set back from the road, so many feet from the lot line and everything else. And my lot line runs on an angle and that. And so I made it as big as I possibly could. I looked at it. And then, uh, you know... I told you, these are principles I live by. So then I was thinking, and it was like, you greedy little doof. We put on a, you know, this third car here so I'd have room to work. And, um, and now all of a sudden I think I need more. It's not like I'm running a factory here or something, you know. It's... Um, uh, you know, and it, it was, you know, and Jenny wanted me to do it. Um, you know, when your wife wants you to do something, it's kind of like, what a great excuse. Um, you know, and um, and I even, you know, and I even I even heard and probably used the phrase, I need more space. Oh, for pity's sake. You know, I had I had so much more space than I ever had there. And I'm on a couple of woodworking groups online and I was looking at some of them and some of them are working out of a shed and out of a carport. And I'm thinking, you sap, you know, and so we set the plans aside and I wasn't going to do it. When I told you I try to live by these principles, I'm sharing with you things I try to live by. You know, and uh, but remember, having stuff is not the problem. The problem is the goal. The problem is the mindset to acquire and store up more and more, which is what this guy was doing. So that we can all say like this guy did. You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink and enjoy yourself. You know, if the goal is to lay back enough so we can have life easy, that becomes our goal in life. And that becomes what we're working for. You know, when it comes time to step aside here, you know, as a pastor, and, you know, I mean, uh, it's going to come one of these days one way or another. Um, not this week as far as I know. But at any rate, um, you know, I, I ask myself, what would God have me do next? How will I serve him? Look at verse 20. Next verse here. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Of all the ways, of all the ways I want God to refer to me, you fool is not one of them. That has never been on the list of how I want God to refool, uh, God to refer to, refool to me? Refer to me. Yeah. 
fool in the Bible, fool, fool in the Bible is used to describe someone who rejects the knowledge and precepts of God as a basis for life. That's how the word fool is used in the Bible. You know, a, a fool ignores the fact that he's going to have to answer to God one day for the quality of his stewardship. Now, the context that follows in, in Luke chapter 12, uh, chapter 12 there, you know, it, 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 it tells us, you know, to live out our stewardship in a faithful manner that honors God. Verse 47, it says that slave who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself, you know, or do it will be severely beaten. What? I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. Uh, but the one who did not know any, who did not know and did the things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. Here it is deal. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much. And even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. Verse 20. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And who will get the things that you prepared? Whose will they be? What night is it that your life will be demanded of you and you're going to have to give an account to God for how you've done it? What night will that be? How will you do in giving an account? This man was not criticized for preparing for the future. That's not what he was criticized for. You know, he, was, he was criticized for doing it at the expense of God's work, for doing it with a selfish, greedy focus. It says, you know, that we need to be rich toward God. Last week we saw, you know, that, you know, how we're supposed to use what God's entrusted to our care in a generous way to build friendships that will last for eternity, you know, being rich toward God. I read a quote as I was studying, you know, and working for this sermon that, that really kind of struck a nerve. It says, we live in the most affluent culture in the most affluent period of human history. If we can't discipline ourselves to learn the joys of generous living, I think we are an embarrassment to the gospel. Now, you know, this came from a man who was just a regular guy with a regular job. And what he has chosen to do at this point is to live on 70% of his income, 70%. He saves 5% and he quietly gives away 25%. Uh, he gave 10% to his church and through the years he found other organizations he wanted to support. He didn't just reallocate what he gave to the church, he increased his giving. Didn't simply just redistribute what he already had. I, I see that as very biblical. Now, we talk about tithes and tithes and offerings. A tithe, now the word means tenth. You know, that a tithe always went to the temple. I don't see any excuse for that in Scripture. I don't see any, any getting around that. And giving beyond that initial tithe, giving beyond that initial 10%, you know, can go to other places. But the tithe, I, I think, at least biblically, uh, you don't do that with. In the Bible, it constitutes a tenth of all that you acquire, all that someone acquires, and you give that back to the Lord through the organized house of God. That's how they did it in Scripture in the Old Testament. That's how you see it happening in the New Testament. They give it to the, you know, the, the organization, the house of God there. Giving, you know, giving back to God shows honor, shows thanksgiving, shows worship, it shows obedience. And in addition to the tithe, God's people are instructed to give offerings as well. 
The tithe came and comes from the very first part of what they receive. Why? Because a tithe from the Old Testament, we lose it now because, you see, we don't live as much day-to-day as they do. But the tithe expresses a trust relationship between the giver and God. God, I am giving to you first. Why? Because I trust that you will continue to take care of me, and I am putting you first in line. You know, and it's, it's that it's, it expresses a trust relationship when we give to God. We are trusting him. You know, and the, the act of giving systematically, the act of giving generously demands faith and it demands determination. You know, it's really easy to get started and then all of a sudden, whoop, I got to take care of this instead. And we, you know, God, I'll make this up to you. And we take a loan from God. We borrow from God. You know, and, and, and I'll make this up to you. Tithing builds spiritual resilience. You can live that way. It's a choice. It's simply a choice on your part. You know, you either choose to live the life of a steward or you choose to live the life of a consumer. That's, you know. You can, you can be generous if you want. And again, we're not talking about the amount of stuff we have. You can be generous if you want, but we sometimes choose to be greedy, thinking of ourselves first. When I was gathering our tax stuff together this year, um, I added up all our income, how much we made, how much we took home. Um, how much you made is different than how much you take home. You know, just I think you realize that. Um, Jenny and I started talking and we weren't satisfied with what we were giving. Uh, I hadn't checked for a while because what happened when we moved into when we when we moved out of the parsonage and into the house, uh, our income, you know, when our, our income dropped when we did that. And um, so I wanted to continue to maintain what we were giving, even though my income had dropped. And we and we did. And so I didn't pay attention to it for a while. And Jenny said, I think we need to look at that. And so I did. I sat down, I added up everything, uh, and we weren't happy with it. And so we increased our giving. Uh, in the past, what I tried to do was every year, I, this is going to sound odd and, and understand what I'm saying. I tried to give a little bit more to God. I was going to say I tried to give God a raise. Erase that from your mind. Yes, erase that from your mind, please. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I, you know, so anyway, we increased our giving and I looked at it and I said, I think we need to make some stuff up. And so we, you know, we, we did that. Um, we have regular givers here at Northside and um, here's what they gave to the general fund last year. You know, what people gave to the general fund last year is what we're talking about. We had 18 people that gave less than a thousand dollars. There's the amounts you know, that they gave. We had 14 people who gave between a thousand dollars and $3,000 to the church. We have eight people who gave between $3,001 and $5,000. Again, you see the numbers there. We had five people who gave between $5,001 and $7,000. We had five who gave between $7,001 and $10,000. Kind of wondering where we're stopping, aren't you? We had four who gave between $10,000 and $13,000. Actually, as you see, it's between eleven two and twelve four. dollars uh, And we had one person who gave over $25,000. Now, 
Now, this is all to the general fund. This is just the general fund we're talking about here because the general fund is what allows us to pay bills. It's what allows us to pay salaries, you know, to buy supplies, to do repairs, to purchase equipment, to care for the buildings, the grounds. Uh, that is also a major part of what funds our missions giving, you know, that comes from the general fund. Uh, now, some people also personally gave to missions, organizations, and the missionaries, you know, through... Uh, through the ter- church, that would all be in addition to these numbers that you see here that I put up there. Um, what we gave in a special offering to communion, you know, and communion to different organizations, that's all in addition to what you see uh, with these numbers here. Um, so what's the point of all this? Well, you know, why am I putting all this up there? I'm not complaining about your giving. Really, what I'm doing is thanking you, you know, thanking you for taking it seriously. Because you see, it's not the amount, it's the generosity that matters. Jesus was at the temple with his disciples and they were watching as people put into the offering. That's what it says. They were watching as people were putting into the offering and some put in large amounts. It says, then a widow came and she gave two small copper coins and it designates the coin that was the, the the least had the least value in their society, and that's you put in two of these copper coins, and Jesus commended her because she was generous. You see, and again, it's not the amount. It says that you know she gave she put in all that she had to live in. It's a generosity factor. You see, greed always wants is always wanting to get more. Greed is, you know, it's, it's you know, want, wanting to get more. And so what happens is then you have a lifestyle to get more. Generosity is always wanting to give more. And so you have a lifestyle and you live a lifestyle to give more. The widow's lifestyle was affected by what she gave. Her lifestyle was affected by what she gave. She didn't just give from the extra. That's why the tithe was given as the first part, not the extra part. Look at verse 21. We're going to wrap this up. Verse 21, Luke chapter 12. It says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want to point out to you, look at that, look at that, that verse. That word rich is a verb. It's an action, not just an attitude. You know, it's an action there. It's more than a choice. It's the actual accomplishment of a task. You know, you are living a lifestyle of generosity or one of greed, you know, and your lifestyle is the point because your lifestyle is, drives how you live. You don't have to have a lot to be greedy and you don't have to have a lot to be generous. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with the income. This too is futile. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with their eyes? 1 Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment, there's a good challenge for us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will rarely be content with these. 
I just added a word for you there. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Uh, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. There's a good picture of debt for you. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. It's what's driving you. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pains. If you think, if, now, just so we're clear, if you think I am saying that you should give more, um, then it might be God or your conscience talking to you because I never said that. This is a relationship between you and God we're talking about. I am concerned about your priorities in life. And money begins to slip ahead of God and his call on our life. Money begins to slip ahead of God and his call to generosity. Where does God place? His place in your life is shown by your living. Ephesians chapter 5. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And part of his will is that you be a steward who is rich toward God, not a fool that always wants to get more for himself. Here's the principle this week. I should be rich toward God in and with everything. Rich toward God in and with everything. So I should review what I see as a necessity in my life. Am I truly needy or simply greedy? Where does God place in your life? Father, thank you for your generosity to us. And you have given us much. And even if we don't think we have much, Lord, you have entrusted to our care what you believe we can and should be handling help us to do it always with you in mind help us to do it always realizing and understanding this is all yours this is all your stuff it's not ours it's what you have given to us and what you will hold us accountable for so help us to use it in a way that brings honor and glory to you and that helps other others come to know what a great and loving god you are we give you thanks for how you provide for us and thanks for your call and reminder To use it all for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.